Okay, jumping right in today, take your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation, Revelation. Very last book, Kurt, the very last book in the Bible, just in case you didn't know. Very last book. The very last book. Jesus has some challenging messages uh, in Revelation 2 and 3 to seven different churches, and I believe that the messages that he gives for these seven churches can apply for us today. Jesus gives these messages to the last living apostle, who is the Apostle John. This happens, we think, around 95 A.D., John is one of the original 12. He's probably 90 maybe or thereabouts years of age at this time. So uh, we're going to see what Jesus wants the Ephesian Christians to know. And then I think we can find practical applications for us. Revelation chapter 1 beginning with verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos. Now, why was he on the island of Patmos? It is a small island. It is 13 square miles. New Albany is 15 square miles. So Patmos is a itty-bitty tiny island. Not big at all. So he was there because he was outspoken for Jesus. And he was banished to the island of Patmos, a place where mostly convicts resided. It turns out, those who know these things believe that John was there for only like 18 months, but that's 18 months I wouldn't want to have been there. But anyway, nonetheless was on the island of Patmos. Why? Because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. It's the Romans that arrested him. On the Lord's Day, was that a special day or was that a Sunday? Don't really know for sure. In context, it kind of looks like it's a typical Sunday or a day he was worshiping. On the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit worshiping God, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I don't know if you've ever had somebody blow a trumpet behind you and you're not expecting it. I have not. But I have had people, when I'm driving, honk at me from behind because they're bad drivers and I'm not. Or sometimes I've had somebody that might say boo at me from behind or whatever. If I scare my wife Rose, you'll hear my passing in the newspaper or online. She can scare me all she wants, but I can't scare her anyway. Jesus is the one that is behind John. And the loud voice, like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, which are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
Now, I'll show you where these churches are later in just, just a bit, but they are in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey as we know it. John has not turned around yet. He's heard what we've just said, and he's heard this amazingly loud voice behind him. He's not heard this voice that we know before. And so, does John kind of do this and turn slowly to see who's behind him, or does he turn real quickly and look? Because frankly, I think his heart rate is going, I think he's, I think he's scared. Well, I know he's scared. He's scared out of his gourd at this point. So does he turn slowly or does he turn quickly? We don't really know. Revelation verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, what were these lampstands like? Well, they were obviously made of gold. Were they like the Jewish menorah that has the seven different candles, you know, the, that thing like that, the seven, and, uh, or were they single candles, candlesticks, and how tall were they? I'm just thinking that they're this tall. have no idea why. I'm just thinking they're this tall, because this person was standing among them. So, they're this tall, they're made of gold, and that's my thinking, okay? I'm thinking they're a single candle because they each refer to one of the churches. Okay. And then I turned and saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, a person, but different, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Now, did he have long hair or short hair? I mean, everybody knows Jesus had long hair, except the Romans at that time had short hair. Would Jesus have had short hair, or did he have long hair? I don't know. It was white, whatever length it was. His eyes were like blazing fire. I've seen artist renderings of what they think his eyes look like. And it's almost like Spider-Man. You know where Spider-Man doesn't have any eyes? I don't think that was really like that. But I've never seen anybody with eyes like blazing fire. It had to be really weird to see somebody like that. But that's John's writing down for us to remember, and that's what he's writing down. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of Niagara Falls up really close, or rushing waters. Super loud, super, super loud. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. I've tried to depict this. I've seen artists' renderings of this. How does he talk? if there's a sword in his mouth. I'm sorry, I, I, I just wonder about these things, okay? I, I don't know the answer, I just, I just wonder. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Can you look at the sun? Well, you can if you want to go blind. So how was it that John could look at Jesus? I mean, could he look at him very long? 
This was Jesus. Make no mistake about it. This was Jesus. This is not, this is not, this guy doesn't look like the same guy that John knew for the two or three years. He was walking around with him in, in Galilee and Judea. He, but this was Jesus. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Three years, they were good friends. John was the one when Jesus was on the cross. And John was with Mary, Jesus' mom. Jesus told John to take care of the mom. He said, this is your mom, mom, this is your son. They were close. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Do you ever have somebody and you're, you're so close to them that if you're seated somewhere and you don't know they're there and they come up behind you and they place their hand on your shoulder because they've done it before, you know who they are. I think, this is just me, I think, because of the relationship that John and Jesus had. And because of the times Jesus would have said, John, don't be so stupid. Or John, you're doing a great job. I think that whenever John fell at Jesus' feet as though dead, when Jesus placed his hand on John goes, that's Jesus. I think he knew who it was. And Jesus continues, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Do we really know what Jesus is like? Verse 19, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, because they're not there, because he's touched John, and the seven golden, golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, on this map, we have the churches listed. There are other churches at the, in that day and age. I mean, there, Paul wrote letters to Christians that are in other churches. But the order of the letters goes from Ephesus clockwise to Laodicea. And so maybe that's why, and maybe that's where John was, and maybe that's why they're written specifically to them. But it's modern-day Turkey, as you can see, and right here, where this little blue X is, the, the island's not even on this map. I had to figure it out by promontories sticking out of the, the landmass, and it's a tiny little place, and that's where John was. So, why is there benefit for us examining Jesus' comments to these seven first-century churches? 
1900 some odd years ago, what is the advantage for us to examine what Jesus told then, 19 centuries ago? I believe that as you and I go through these letters to the seven churches of Ephesus today, that we will find without much difficulty ways that we're a lot like them in good ways and bad ways. And I think if our hearts are open to what God says, that we are willing to examine God's truth and we are willing to let him examine our hearts, we will find ways that God wants to change us and move us to be more like his son. So, if you want or you're willing right now without knowing what it is, if God communicates to your heart, to your mind today, something that he wants you to do, will you tell him right now before you know what it is, God, whatever you tell me, I'm willing to do what you say. So would you bow your head, please? And if without knowing what it is, but if God communicates to you clearly what he wants you to do this morning, do you trust him enough to go ahead and tell him right now that you'll do what he says for you to do? If so, tell him that you will. Thank you, God, for being a God that can be trusted. And we trust as you speak to our hearts through your spirit, through your word, that we, we will respond. I will do what you want me to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Each message to the different churches is different, and there are also some similarities. In each of the messages, Jesus says he knows their works. He goes on, and each, uh, each letter includes a promise to those who overcome, those who are victorious, those who remain faithful to God. Each of the letter gives an encouragement to those who are listening. And each letter has a particular description of Jesus that pertains to the message that he's given. Each letter includes commendation, praise, except to Laodicea, the last church. No commendation is given to those people. Each letter includes a rebuke, a correction, except the letters to Smyrna and Philadelphia. Each letter includes an encouraging promise to those people who listen and heed the message of Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church, to the angel of the Christians in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The words from Jesus. The lampstands are the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. The seven stars represent the angels of the seven churches or the messengers of the seven churches. Who are the angels? 
I'm going to suggest three things, not original with me. This is what those who are supposed to know these things suggest. The angel is, number one, a guardian angel of this church. What did the guardian angel do? Well, he guarded. How did he guard? I don't know. So if he's a guardian angel, have at it. Guard what goes on. Second option, the angel or messenger is referred to as the human leaders serving as God's messengers in the congregation. Third option, the angel would refer to the collective or prevailing spirit of the church. Whatever the angels are, which we cannot know for sure, it is abundantly clear that Jesus wanted his message delivered to each of those churches. And since they have been preserved, I believe Jesus wants those messages delivered to us today. Revelation 2, verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Wicked, a word we don't use nowadays. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So, good things Jesus tells this church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Would you not like Jesus to say that to you? I would love to have Jesus say that to me. He said that to me. <laughs> I'd be thinking I was pretty hot. So he says this to these. So how can Jesus' message to the Ephesians help me? Some questions. What good deeds does Jesus know about you? What good deeds does Jesus know about you? What kind of hard work are you putting in to the kingdom? Do your efforts for kingdom work equal the efforts you put into your job or to school or to family or to leisure time? What gets most of your efforts? What behavior do you exhibit that proves you are persevering and maintaining God's standards? What behavior do you exhibit that proves you are persevering and maintaining God's standards? When things get rough, do you persistently stay with God's ways? Or do you cave? When you get squeezed, do you choose to follow God or do you compromise a little and go with what you kind of want? Jesus said, I know your deeds. What does he know about you? Verse 2b, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So apparently these apostles were in the Ephesian church. They were imposters, liars, and deceivers. And the, the Ephesian Christians 
knew enough about God's truth that they could tell that these people were not who they claimed to be. And so they booted them because they could tell the difference between the truth and a lie. So how about you? The Ephesian Christians did not put up with these wicked people, but do you put up with wicked people? Do you allow sin to go unchecked around you when there is something you can do about it? Now, is Jesus suggesting that he wants us to be rude and unkind or hateful when wrong stuff goes on around us? He does not. Jesus always stood for the truth. Jesus always stood for God. There was no question that he did. But was Jesus always kind? Was he ever hateful? He was not. Was Jesus rude? No. But did he stand up for the truth against wicked people? He most assuredly did. And he expects the same thing from us. As inconvenient as that clearly is. So what about testing? Someone says something interesting in an elective or in a sermon or you hear it in a song or you hear in a conversation at church or someone out there at work or home or wherever, school, someone says something that you find interesting. Maybe it's appealing. Does your brain automatically go to what the Bible says? And do you compare what you hear to what you know the Bible says? Or do you find that it's easy for you to get sucked into something that somebody says that is interesting and appealing because you don't know the truth of God's Word? If somebody says something that's interesting and appealing, but you don't know, do you say, I'm going to put on the brakes a little bit and I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out what God's truth says so I can find out whether this thing is true or not. We have electives here at 9 and 10.30. We have men's Bible study on Wednesday at 7. And we have women's Bible study Tuesday at 6. We have opportunities to learn. Do we take advantages of those opportunities? Do we learn on our own? Do we learn at home? Do we know enough that when something that is not truthful but maybe sounds good or maybe looks like it's truthful, do we know enough about God's Word to compare it to what we hear and choose God's Word over something that is not true? On a slightly different tangent, do you purposely put stuff in your brain that goes against God's standards? Well, of course, Robin, I would not purposely put something in my brain that goes against God's standards. I made a deal earlier with God this week for us, okay? I made a deal with him. You've probably seen situations in movies or something where there is someone that an individual can see and nobody else can see. And they might carry on a conversation with this person that they see but nobody else can see. But this person is with them. So I made this deal with God and this week and for this week only 
Jesus is going to be with you. Every day, you're going to see him beside you. Nobody else is, but you will. So that every time you're talking, he's right there with you. Every time you watch something on TV or at the movies, he's watching with you. When you pull out your phone or you go online, he's right there with you, seeing everything you do. Because I made this deal with God and Jesus as a company. Well, the bottom line is we know that really he's with us every day anyway. But what would it be like if Jesus physically accompanied us every day and knew exactly what we were doing? Would our behavior change if we were aware of Jesus being with us right beside us? Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Have you persevered? Have you made, remained strong and not gotten weary? When I think about the hardships that I've endured for Jesus, but I compare them to the hardships of people in other countries, tiny. People in other countries lose possessions. They lose the ability to work. They lose their families. They lose their homes. People in other countries who stand up for Jesus lose their lives. I've had to endure nothing remotely close to that. But these Ephesian Christians have persevered, and they have endured hardships for Jesus. So that was Jesus talking to them about the good things. Now he talks to them about what is wrong with them. Verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have abandoned, you have deserted the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent, turn around, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, turn around, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I mean, how can this be? All of these good things we've looked at that the Ephesian Christians have been doing, and yet Jesus says they have abandoned him. They have deserted him. They have forsaken him. They have left their first love. I don't understand it. How can you do all these good things, and yet you have left your first, I don't know, I don't. And yet Jesus says it, so it has to be true. Have you ever done something, something good for the sake of doing something good? There's something you want to do and you want. Have you ever done something good simply for the sake of doing something good, but your heart wasn't in it? Have you ever come to worship 
out of obligation? Have you here gone through the motions of worship, but your heart wasn't in it? Do you ever lose your focus as to why you do something for God? Have you ever made your action or work the important thing? Not that you're doing it for Jesus. Have you ever made the action or the work itself the important thing, but not that you're doing it for Jesus is the important thing? Which is more important? What we do? Is it more important what we do? or why we do what we do. Jesus clearly says why we do what we do is most important. Why do you do what you do? Verse number five. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Turn around. And do the things you did at first. Do you remember when you were first in love with your spouse or significant other? Pudgy and Kim, that would be back in the dark ages for you, okay? For Rose and me, we've been married 43 years. So we dated a couple of years. So 45 years ago. I did things for Rose because she wanted me to do things for her. She beat me up if I didn't, but no, that's not the reason. Remember in your first relationship that was significant when you did things because you wanted to be pleasing to that person? That's what Jesus is saying these Ephesian Christians are lacking Wouldn't Jesus say to them and to us, love me first, then do the stuff because you love me. The tragedy of doing even good things for Jesus without having him as our first love is this. If you do not repent, turn around, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Is Jesus talking about people no longer being in the kingdom? It kind of looks that way. The things that you do for Jesus, why do you do them? Jesus has said good things. He said bad things to do. He comes back in with a good thing. Verse 6. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't know conclusively what the Nicolaitans believed, but Jesus obviously was against what they did. And the Ephesian Christians are clearly behaving properly here because they don't care for what the Nicolaitans do. And so Jesus concludes his message to the Ephesians. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, 
I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you want to make it to the paradise of God? How is your first love? Are you maintaining your first love? Now, I don't, I don't mean infatuation. I'm not talking about that tingly all over feeling. I'm talking about genuine, honest, from the heart, sincere love. A commitment to Jesus. Do you love Jesus enough to do what he wants even when you don't feel like it? How is your first love?
Would you go ahead and bow your head, please? Is it time for you to return to your first love? Are you there with Jesus as he wants? Do you want Jesus to touch you again, to renew your relationship? Do you want him to help you to slow down and calm down and spend time with him? Or is it such that you've never, ever begun that relationship with him? If you are already a believer and following after Jesus, but realize you need to be closer to get back to that first love, go ahead right now and tell him. Tell him, God, I want to be I want to be close to you. I want to be next to Jesus. I want to experience that first love. If you've never become a Christian, before this morning is over, you can do that. If you would like someone to pray with you, if you would like to talk with someone, if you'd like to talk with them about returning to your first love or maybe about becoming a Christian, when service is over, if you stay seated, a trained decision guide will come to where you are and you and they can talk. If you're at home and you want to talk with us and you see the information on the screen, you can get in touch with us through either the email or the phone number. Our Father in heaven, thank you for what Jesus has done. Thank you for who he is, though the Jesus we see in the book of Revelation is not what we think of as the same guy in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yet, he's the same. May we worship you. May we listen to your spirit. May we obey Jesus. May we do what you want us to do. And Father, what it is that you've told us, we will do. Father, may we share this love of Jesus with those around us who do not have the hope of knowing him. Challenge us. Have people cross our paths this week who need to know Jesus. And may we love them enough to share with them about him. May we love you as you want. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.